Good morning. This morning we're going to continue in our series from bondage to freedom as we study through the book of Galatians. And we will be in the first 11 verses of chapter 4. So if you'd like to grab a Bible and open it up, that's where we will be um, today. Today's a great day as we celebrate freedom and independence as a country. It's a great day for us to be in this passage because it, it would really be a shame if today was just about the country in which we lived in and not about the freedom in which we really have. And so that's going to be kind of what we're talking about today. And so, um, once again, let me encourage you um, to get another cup of coffee, move around, do whatever you need to do so you can be engaging the Word and the Word can be engaging you and not, don't rely on me to entertain you for the next little bit. But let's dive into the Word. So let's pray and ask God to, to meet us where we are today and to change us radically. Lord Jesus, um, we desperately need you. Today, we desperately need to be changed. We need to put sin to death and be conformed into your image. And you do that through the power of your word and through the working of your spirit in our hearts. So God, would you help us engage the word today in a way that leaves us a little bit uncomfortable and pushes us toward living differently for your glory and your namesake. Lord, thank you that you have promised us that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish what you have set, for, set out for it to do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to do that work in us. Lord, help us to be changed by what we've already sung. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Drunk man got on a bus late one night, staggered down the aisle of the bus, and fell into a chair right next to an elderly woman who was clutching her Bible. She looked at him, smelled him, sized him up, up and down, and said, I've got news for you, mister. You're going straight to hell. The man jumped up out of his seat and shouted, Oh man, I got on the wrong bus again. Today, once again, we see the Galatians jumping on the wrong bus because they're intoxicated by the things of this world, this culture. And so it's very easy for us to relate to the text today because we've all played that role. Last week in Galatians 3, we have seen the Apostle Paul review 2,000 years of biblical history, Old Testament history, and particularly showing the relationship between three main figures, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. He explained how God gave Abraham a promise to bless all the families of the earth through his family. 
and gave Moses the law, which did not annul the promise, Paul says. In fact, it actually made it more necessary and urgent. And last week, we dove into Paul's argument that the promise was fulfilled in Christ so that everyone whom put their trust in Christ inherited the promise which God had given to Abraham. And now, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Paul is going to reiterate man's position outside of Christ. And he's going to contrast it with man's position in Christ in order to make a passionate appeal to the Galatian Christians not to go back, to stay the course, to walk in a way in a manner worthy of the gospel. So with that said, let's turn and read the first 11 verses together. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, You were enslaved to those that by nature were not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul's whole issue with the Galatians at this point is why they would have turned back. And the thought and the fear that he had made maybe labored in the gospel with them and done that in vain. You see, at the beginning of this passage, Paul once again uses a common illustration for his day. And he's used many of them throughout the last couple chapters. This one is an illustration of a child who was a minor. Even though he might be an heir and the future owner of a vast estate, as a minor he lived much like a slave, making no decisions and having little freedom. But at the time set by his father, that child would enter into true manhood with the appropriate responsibility and freedom. He would come to an age where his inheritance would be given to him. The application 
of this illustration should be obvious to us as we've read and studied through Paul's letter that although we may be heirs to the kingdom, we were all once in an inferior position, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world as a minor, as a child. We were under a manager, awaiting a time set for us by our Father. But before we get to that, what does it really mean to be enslaved to the elementary principles of basic spirits, some translators put it, of this world? And commentators are all over the map trying to decipher what Paul's really talking about. But I think if we look in light of the context in which it's in and the connection to verses 8 and 9, that the best translation would be the basic principles, the basic spirits of this world. Verse 8, Paul says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He points to a past bondage to these spiritual beings who were not gods. Probably the idolatry, pagan rituals of the Galatians. And then in verse 9, he points to this. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather been known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Pointing to the dangers of returning to this previous bondage, a bondage some have translated as weak and beggarly elemental spirits. Basically, Paul is pointing to the bondage of the world to evil spirits that oppose God. Paul would refer throughout the New Testament to these as principalities, as powers, enemies of God, rulers of this age, had many different ways of expressing this idea. But for you and I, it's, it's pretty important because we don't think in these terms and many of us don't really believe in such spirits and powers these days, I think it's because we have been radically mistreated by our culture and shaped by it. Because when you think of evil spirits, what's the first thing, the first image that pops in your mind? Is it some crazy, scary movie you saw when you were a teenager or junior high or, you know, something coming out of somebody or... What was it? We, th- we tend to think of those crazy, supernatural stuff that's just not real. It's in the movies kind of stuff. And so we dismiss it and we don't think about it. And we don't understand that our culture, once again, invades on us and pushes on us in a way that's very unhealthy. And... The way that plays out is we don't think about it because then our culture is so cleaned up and nice that you know we don't see a lot of those supernatural manifestations of the spiritual realm, demons, evil spirits. So we don't think about it much. And we sure don't give much thought to the one that Paul would call in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, Satan, our adversary. But in Paul's mind... He is radically aware that there's a battle that is happening just outside 
of the human sight line. And in Ephesians 6, 12, he says this. He kind of peels it back for us and lets us get a view. And he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 8, says that we ought to be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is a huge point that I don't want you to miss. Because it's a big deal that these forces have enslaved us have enslaved the Galatians, and Paul makes the point in verse 3 that even Jewish people were enslaved by this. In the same way we, Paul says, also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And what he has done, please don't miss this, what he has done is he has taken the pre-Christian pagan worship of, a, of the Gentiles and the Jewish enslavement to the law and he's brought them both together and he's saying we're all enslaved every one of us it is the plight of the human soul outside of the sovereign grace of God and his adoption of us into his family we are all subject to universal slavery We're all on common ground, whether Jew or Gentile, whether we worship the law or the gods of nature or even ourselves, maybe, in our life. We are all under the subjection of evil. We are all slaves of basic spirits of this world, unable to free ourselves from their mastery. All of us, all of humanity, is in a desperate need for a redeemer, a rescuer, which is where Paul started us at the beginning of this book. And so he moves to verse 4, and he says those great words, but God, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, when the fullness of time had come, God changed everything. He changed everything. Like a loving father determining the perfect time for his heir to enter into his inheritance. The time in human history fixed and appointed by God had come. And with one great redemptive act, God sent his son into human history on the greatest rescue mission ever known to man. And there's not a soul on this planet that doesn't need that. 
There's not a person that lives in your neighborhood around the corner or across the world that doesn't need to know that. And just so that we keep our understanding of who Christ is and that it is who Christ is that's very important for our salvation, Paul makes it very clear. Jesus, though sent by God and divine and God in his full glory, was also born of a woman, denoting his humanity and that he was fully human. And not only that, not only was he God and fully human, he was born under the law. Not only was he fully man, he was a Jewish man, circumcised on the eighth day, grew up reading the Torah, praying to his heavenly father, a faithful and faithfully fulfilling that law, all its precepts, all its demands, like no one else, fully. So that he would be the perfect redeemer. That he would redeem us from the curse of the law and open up the, the blessings of its inheritance. He earned it for us by his own perfect obedience. Jesus' life under the law was comparable to the error that Paul pointed to in verses 1 and 2. Though he was the owner of everything, he made himself a slave. But that's where the comparison breaks down and ends. Because this son was never in the bondage of the basic spirits of this world. You see, born of a woman fully man, he was also fully God. And when he spoke, the demons were cast out and the storms were calm and the sick were healed and the dead were raised. God sent his son And God sent him to redeem a world full of bondage. Redeem those who were under the bondage and to provide a basis for his adoption. Redemption, oftentimes we throw that word around, we don't think about it much. Redemption simply means to buy back from slavery. Christ paid the price to set you free Christ paid the price to set the Jews free from the bondage of the law and Gentiles from the bondage to elemental spirits of the world. Christ paid your debt that you might be free. Redeemed from an empty way of life, Peter says that you were ransomed from the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers. An empty life. Whether your life looked decent, the great American dream with the white picket fence and good conservative values and an American flag hanging on the house, or whether your life looked wicked on any scale of human morality, Whatever that life looks like, without Christ, 
It's in vain. It's futile. And it's empty. Paul would say in Ephesians 2.23 that we all live this type of life in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Christ's ransom secured us from not only the penal curse of the law, also from the bondage of sin. And not only did Christ buy those who had put their faith in him, in verse 5, he tells us that he redeems them under the law so that we might receive adoption. If you're in Christ, you not only move from the bondage of your sin and enslavement to evil, but you're adopted into the family of God. You see, oftentimes in biblical Christianity, usually in the South, we love to share Jesus in the sense of pray this prayer and you will be released from the wrath of God. Believe this, that Christ died for your sins and you'll be released, free. But we leave out one major important thing. Not only are you freed from the wrath of God, you have been adopted into the family of God. You've been freed from sin and freed from the penalty of it, but you, you've been adopted into God's family. You've gone from homeless to the household of God. You've you've taken on God's name as a son and an heir. And then all the rights and privileges and inheritance that go along with that, When, when was the last time you thought about that? When was the last time in the morning when you were fixing your hair in front of the mirror? That you, what about this morning? Did you stand there as you were fixing yourself to go out into public? Did you see an heir? Or a slave? Did you see a son of God? A daughter of God? a slave God has not only sent his son to redeem you he has sent his spirit to reside in your heart so that you as the passage says can call him Abba Father The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your heart is not to empower you specifically to do miraculous things and become some kind of Superman Christian. 
The miraculous part is God has transferred you from darkness into light, from not having a family to God's family and being able to have an intimate relationship with the Father and call him Abba. It's a term for intimacy. And Paul says, you cry out with an exclamation point. Abba, Father, as a slave that has been set free. No longer bound by his sin. No longer bound by the principalities of this world. No, free. That's exactly what verse 7 tells us. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, most of us don't spend enough time thinking about that. What our true identity is now in Christ. We spend more time at the beginning of this next part of the passage thinking about formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. And I want to say, I think it's good at times to look back and to see where you were formerly. It gives you perspective, but if you stay there, you will fall back into slavery. It was good this week for me to just think about what was life like? Before I knew Christ, when I was enslaved to the weak and worthless spirits of this world, what was that like? And I don't like to spend much time there because it's like swimming in a garbage can. It's not fun. It stinks. And you never come out clean if you stay there. But the beautiful thing about it is if you'll go there for just a moment and you'll remember where that life took you, where you ended up on that bus. I spent a lot of time on the wrong buses. Intoxicated by the world. Or maybe that's where you are today, enslaved. Something right now is acting as your functional God, though it's not a God by nature at all. It's an idol. Do you remember what it was like not to know God or, as Paul put it, to be known by God? Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember the emptiness and the pain? Do you remember that experience? Maybe it's your experience right now. You see, the Galatians had been in bondage like all of us at one time or another because they did not know and were not known by the one true God. 
And in Paul's mind, this is understandable because he's already said the plight of all humanity is this. This is it. So we under, all understand what it is to be without God, to not know God or be known by him. That did not surprise Paul at all. And it's what you would and should expect from every lost neighbor you have. If you remember, if you'll go back for a short time and remember what it was like to not know Christ or to be known by him, then how you live with your neighbor will change. You will live in a more understanding way. You will have compassion for the emptiness and pain that you know is in their life. And you will beg God for an opportunity to share Christ with them. However, the fact that the Gentiles were turning back to bondage when they had been delivered by God himself. Paul had no words for that. And the English does us, it doesn't help us here. It does not give us the incomprehensible, I, it, Paul just can't wrap his mind around it. How someone could be released from their sin and slavery and want to go back. just have a flash of exodus in your mind it's a great parallel here great parallel how could you go back why would you want to go back that's the beauty of swimming in the trash can for a little while I don't want to go back at all I don't even want to take a short detour in that direction You see, we can certainly understand the language of a prodigal son who came to his father and said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a slave. But how can anyone be so foolish to say, you have made me your son, God. But I'd rather be a slave. It's one thing to say, I do not deserve it. It's quite another to say, I don't desire it. I prefer slavery over sonship. The New York Times reporter, Nicholas Kristof, chose two Cambodian prostitutes and attempted to buy their freedom from their brothel owners. And he selected young women who were there against their will, willing to tell their story and actually wanted to leave prostitution. The first woman, Shrey, was, sim- was a simple transaction. For $150, Christoph left with the girl and a receipt. Shrey's mom's situation, however, proved a little bit more difficult since the brothel owner demanded more money Christoph writes, after some grumpy negotiation, the owner accepted $203. 
as a price for Sray's mom's freedom. But when Sray's mom told me that she had pawned her cell phone and needed $55 to get it back, I said, forget about your cell phone. We've got to get out of here. Sray started crying. And I told her that she had a choice, her cell phone or her freedom. And she ran back to her tiny room in the brothel and locked the door. With Saray's mom sobbing in her room and refusing to be freed without her cell phone, the other prostitutes and her closest friends began pleading with her to be reasonable. And even the owner of the brothel begged her to grab this chance while you can. But Saray's mom hysterically refused to leave. The only thing that stopped her crying is when Christoph agreed to buy back the cell phone as well. And then she asked him for her pawned jewelry to be part of the deal. Sometimes that's what we look like. We have been redeemed. Christ has paid the price for our freedom. And like the Galatians, we run back. Time after time, after time. This passage shows us, once again, that the Christ, what the Christian life is and how it's to be lived. The Christian life is not a life of slavery and bondage. It's a life of freedom. Not freedom in the sense to do whatever you wish, but freedom from the penalty and power of sin in order that you can live a life the way God created life to be lived in radical dependence on him for his glory. Titus 2.14 says this, that Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This passage shows us the connection between Christ's redemptive work and how it goes beyond salvation from God's everlasting curse. Its purpose is to redeem us from sin to himself. What is God up to in this grand narrative of the Bible? He is about redeeming a people from their sin and purifying them that they may be his people who are zealous for good works. That's what he's doing. That's what this whole redemptive plan that's being laid out is all about. So, do you deserve it? Absolutely not. No, not one. No, not one. But should you desire it? Oh, yes. You should desire to live as a son and as an heir. So here's the question, the question of the day. Do you live as a son or a slave? 
And here's the evaluative question for me all week. Because I believe this gets right at the heart of it. How do you, Jeff, respond when you blow it? When you sin and your conscience condemns you, how do you handle that at that very moment? Now that sounds like a weird question considering what we've just been saying. But here's where most of us make the simple turn back to slavery from the gospel. You see, at that moment, if the guilt is too much to bear, where do you turn? Do you return to the redemptive work of Christ in your life or do you turn to pawned cell phones, secret addictions, pagan idols? Do you run back to weak and worthless principles of this world? If you do, you are saying that I want to be a slave. That's what you're saying. Every time you make that turn away from Christ, back to that. You're saying, I want to be a slave to materialism, alcoholism, lust, entertainment, recreation, anything that will numb me and help me escape. That is what I want to serve. That's what I'm going to worship. There's only one true response in light of this passage today. We have to understand that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us. Every day, every moment. And as believers, if you haven't figured this out yet, we're going to sin and fall short of the glory of God. And once again, be in need of the gospel. But we are no longer under sin's dominion. We are no longer slaves because we have been set free. And so our response must be radically different. It's not a turning to these other things. Our response in light of the gospel is to plead guilty to all the accusations and all the condemnation of the Holy Spirit brings to us and to not minimize it, not to sugarcoat it, not to put a good little white set of semi-gloss paint on it, but to own it. And then quickly turn to the gospel and remind ourselves who we are in Christ. That the law no longer has claim on us. We have been set free You see, the conviction of the Spirit in your life is a beautiful gift. God places the Spirit of His Son in your heart so that you will not be led back to slavery, but you will be empowered to live a life that honors Christ and puts sin to death. You've been set free for just that thing.
So as we think about that today, as you respond to God's word, what are the things that you turn to instead of Christ's redeeming work? What is it that captures your heart that you want, as Paul says, to be its slave? What is it? Today is the day to nail a nail in the coffin, to lay those things to rest once and for all, to confess them, don't sugarcoat them, don't whitewash them, don't make them little, look prettier than they are, fall on your knees, confess them to God, repent and receive what is yours. You are no longer a slave. You've been set free. You are a son, and if a son, an heir. That is not your identity any longer. Because at just the right time, the fullness of time in your history, God sent his son to you to redeem you from the bondage of the law. And you are a son if you place your faith in that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, as we reflect on your word and as we try to apply it to our lives, will you please be merciful to us? Will you bring to light those things that we run to? Those things that enslave us. Lord, this day, help us lay them down. Confess that we need you. And that we come with nothing to give. Lord, help us confess our sin, repent of it, and turn from it. We may live out the identity that we possess as sons and heirs of the one great King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?